Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. So that was very timely uh, this morning for me, uh, just to hear that, to hear the Holy Spirit lead that and speak into our hearts. I needed it. Um, thank you for praying for me. I've asked so many people have said, are you better? Hope, you know, with that kind of a uh, stay out of my personal space better. Do you, if you've had the flu, it's like, are you better? <laughs> um, yes. And thank you for praying for me. And now I understand what's been going through uh, this fellowship for about eight, ten weeks. So, And I'm glad for the prayers this morning. So, So glad you're here. I want to share with you this morning, and uh, isn't it interesting how the Holy Spirit seems to know, but I want to talk about when suffering comes. And uh, it's, we've been uh, doing a little bit of grace in practice and what it means to do grace in practice. And that means this, that theology is really arid and desolate if it doesn't mean anything for our everyday lives. What we believe, if it's just a statement to us and not a reality in how we relate to other people, how we walk through this life ourselves, how we engage with loved ones, how we engage with unloved ones, <laughs> with, with unloving, all of that means nothing if it doesn't have a substance for how we do it how we get through life and the, and the practice of it. So um, this is Romans 5, verse 1. If you will read it and uh, just say it aloud together with me. Let's just read this together, okay? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you that it has life, has meaning. We thank you that it can come into us, into our minds and our emotions, into our very being, and it can transform us, that our minds can be renewed through engaging in this. And I pray that for each of us right now, that you would just renew the spirit of our minds. That you would give us the mind of Christ concerning life and these things. And we open ourselves up. We open ourselves up right now to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, many people read this uh, in engagement with Romans 5, and that is a very good thing, or Romans 4, because it says, therefore, so you know it means he was speaking of something else. I'm going to do it a little bit differently. Now, I'm not cherry-picking, and I'm not taking it out of context. So please 
just go with me on this journey this morning, and it's more, more just me sharing as it is instructional or something like that. I'm not trying to teach you something, and you, many of you know this and know this through the heartaches of life better than I do. But let's share it together. Let's just have a little uh, good morning spiritual snack together, okay? So I'm going to start in the middle. And it's the idea of tribulation and what that means. Most of the time when we're taught from the Word of God, the word tribulation is used in the sense of what we believe and that we suffer persecution for it. And that is an aspect of that. But really, when you look at this single one word right in the middle of this passage of Scripture, uh, it means more than persecution for what you believe. The word tribulation here is actually a much broader word than that. It means to suffer. Isn't that interesting? In the midst of your suffering. It means to be afflicted. Boy, there's an encouragement. It means to be in anguish because of your circumstances. It means to be burdened and troubled. It means the aspects of life that we go through. We have tribulation in this life. It's brokenness. It's a broken planet, isn't it? Uh, all you have to do is read the political reports every morning that, uh, that uh, are either on your smartphone or on the TV or whatever. It just feels like the whole thing's a little bit anguished right now, doesn't it? It's like, doesn't it feel icky? Ugh. That's a real time for saints to pray, by the way. When you sense that ickiness, then you pray the opposite spirit. You pray goodness, you pray wholeness, you pray these things into every aspect of it, including the people you don't agree with. So whatever political ilk you're of, or whatever viewpoints you have, pray and bless those who stand in opposition to what you think. Something happens in our soul when we begin to do that. There's other reasons for souls to be anguished, you know. It's, it's been a tough week for me, not only being sick, uh, but, uh, you know, in the past couple weeks, I found out that my oldest Christian friend is diagnosed with stage four cancer, you know, and hasn't, hasn't been given very much time. He's a wonderful believer. He loves Jesus with all of his heart. And, uh, you know, we're believing for healing, um, and that, but it's still hard news. It, it, it gets at you. It got at me, boy. It, and when you're my age, it can tend, you know, send you down memory lane, and then you get nostalgic, and then you remember the first time you met, and, then, you, know, and you go through all those things. And that can happen when you're 65 or can happen when you're 16, maybe even younger. You remember, and it does something inside of you. And then uh, for those of you who knew him, you know, uh, Brian Pugh was tragically killed in an auto accident this week, and it was such a, it was a wonderful memorial service at the river yesterday, but, oh boy, it was hard too, you know, and then it was another memory lane going back to, for me, 1989 and 1990 and Kansas City Fellowship and seeing people I hadn't seen for 15, 18 years and, uh, and all of them weeping and crying because nobody really wanted that. You know, Brian was a, a dear, dear man. 
that will be greatly missed. And, you know, uh, it was really hard because then I had to change gears and go out and celebrate my granddaughter's sixth birthday. So you can imagine the emotional turmoil I went through yesterday to go from and wishing that I could have gotten up to, to add my eulogy, you know. As Brian helped me a lot through the years. I very, only my MC students would know that. He, uh, he you know, and I, I didn't have, so many people came to me during the years of Master's Commission and uh, said, can we help, meaning they wanted to teach their pet sermon <laughs> up front to the kids or get them to see something that they hadn't seen, and that was all fine and good, but... Brian really knew how to help. He had grown in discipleship, uh, and uh, he understood it. He mentored young men, young women. He knew how to do it, and so he didn't. He just came to me. He said, "I don't know what to. I know what to do." So he and Cindy opened up their home and took kids in, and uh, and were host families for us. But he did more. He took guys out one on one. He took guys out by groups of twos and threes, and just. Spoke to him about Jesus. And, and uh, you know, through the years, and by the way, if you ever got in a conversation with Brian, you better have your sword sharpened because he knew his stuff. You better know what you were talking about. And because uh, he would not debate you, but he would go, Are you sure? Because I think it says, and he would just walk through it with you. This is what I know Brian and I didn't always see eye to eye, and they spent a lot of years here with us at New Day, but we always saw heart to heart. And that made all the difference. And we loved each other. I miss him. We'll miss him. And please pray for Cindy and the kids. So That added to it, I was already in that place. And then looking at this passage of Scripture, because the week before I got sick, I was sharing with you all about the five main themes of the practice of grace in our lives. And this is one of them. And this is where... Here's what happens for so many people, me included, so I'm including myself this morning, that is right here in the midst of painful times. You know, and and for me, it feels like a long season. I've had very close friends, you know, um, have their children die, bury their children. It's just been a, it feels like one of those seasons that's been very difficult. I have kept my joy in the Lord and by the way, I don't need to be exhorted. <laughs> I, I know all the right, I know how to speak the truth to myself, and I know how to trust in God, and I'm doing that as best as I can, and uh, and uh, and working through that. But it was this passage of scripture that has been an anchor for me at this time, and I want to share why. Because of this. In our worst times, in the midst of stuff that feels like tribulation, trial, pain, turmoil. When every affliction of life can seem to be coming our way and throwing at us, it is at this time that grace applies. Almost more than any other. Now we need it daily. But it's when we feel afflicted That grace is given to us by God. Why why there? And and it's really interesting that this passage of Scripture starts with this big issue of justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. 
This is why I believe it's here. It's because when we are afflicted, that a whole series of questions start rolling into us. Let me give you some of those questions. What did I do to set this in motion? How come this is happening now? Why did this? And then, uh, how come God is allowing this? You know that question? Huh. What did I do to deserve those internal questions that you know better than to let them out of your mouth, but they're still there, they kind of nag at you? Should I have been, you fill in the blank, was I not praying enough? Was I not, uh, oh God, just show me? Does this sound familiar? I'll do anything to make it right. You you can be the most (laughs) flag-in-the-ground, trust-God-grace person I know, and those thoughts will come racing in in a time of affliction and pain. And you even get to the place you go, I'll repent, just show me. Yeah? Affliction and pain and sorrow attacks us at our most vulnerable place. Our relationship and standing with God. I believe the enemy of our soul heightens those thoughts. I think they are the arrows that are shot at us as believers. But it is why Romans 5, 1 and 2 is so important to know and practice. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Things don't happen because God's upset at you. God disciplines. He doesn't, he's, there's no punishment waiting for you. You have peace with God. God's at, and this is the big statement, not, not just you receiving peace as a commodity. God's at peace with you on your worst day. And when that becomes a, a foundational thing with us, when we're going through the turmoil of something awful happening in our lives that we can't pinpoint and can't go, oh, that was because of, it says, the peace of God, the commodity of how God feels about you starts coming into your being to overflood all those other thoughts. It comes in, in this form, oh, child. No, I'm for you 100%. It is right there. It says through the very next verse, through whom also we we have access into this grace in which we stand. Suddenly this commodity from God When you're in heartache, when you're in pain, when you're afflicted, when nothing is making sense, this this indefinable, I can't even define it for you, I can sort of describe it to you, but this, this stuff from God starts coming into your being. And you go, I can make it. Okay, I can, I can... Get me through today, God. And a, and a grace comes into you. That simple little thing. 
Because this theological pillar that Paul is actually speaking of comes to us as a gift that we can't even hardly explain to others and go, yeah, I don't know how I'm making it, but I'm making it. It comes through His unconditional love for us. In the, and here's the thing. It's really interesting, but when that kind of turmoil and tribulation comes, I want you to hear this, because if you are in any way there near this morning, and how about the Holy Spirit bringing that stuff to us, which was very confirming to me this morning. I don't know about you. Thank you, you guys. Thank you, worship team, and thank you for the people that came and shared. God comes, displays, and gives this gift of grace, and it comes through this. I don't know any other way to put it. You're okay, kid. You're going to make it. Your mind. It's a simple definition. Your mind. You're going to make it. I'm going to help you get through this. I'm going to be there. I've already made this decision about you. You're justified in my sight. None of this had anything to do with that. I'm for you. I'm with you. And I will give you grace so that you can stand. This one came to me a lot of years ago. I did a, it's the first time I did a long fast. And uh, I, I was fairly new to the ministry. And uh, I did a very, str- I was, too, you know, it's so principled. Um, I was going to do it a certain way, <laughs> this long 21-day fast, and God had shown me different things spiritually, and I was, man, I was doing it. I was going to drink five ounces of grape juice, okay, in the morning for five days, water only for the next 11 days, and then I would, just to get a little bit of energy, do Five ounces, of five, not six, five ounces of juice for the last five days of the fast. It was right between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Fudge, cookies, yummy meat. Yeah. And uh, it was a long, I won't go into all the detail, but here was the promise that God gave to me, because it really was an invitation from him. So I, I, I did this fast, I was very rigid, very strict, but this is what he told me, he said, I'll give you grace for it. Most miserable fast I ever did in my entire life. I felt about this much grace. It was hard. Every day got harder. I was hungry from day one. And that whole thing that they tell you after five days, the hunger lifts, you don't feel it. That was a bunch of hogwash. I was hungry from the time I woke up. I was hungry in my sleep and could hear myself licking my lips. I got to the last day, and I did it. I was very strict. I kept it. I, I, there wasn't, I didn't even sniff at a piece of fudge. I was in my office and I was 
praying. I got down on my knees and for my last good 90-minute devotional for this wonderful fast that I got nothing out of. And I said to the Holy Spirit, the only thing I don't understand is I thought you were going to give me grace for this. I was kind of not angry, but, you know, just kind of a little grumpy about it. Amen. (laughs) And I went to stand up, and the room started spinning. I started, it felt like, you know, my stomach started convulsing uh, on its own. It felt like I was being turned inside out, and I started going, and I started going down, and I thought I was going to faint. And I was going like, what is that? And then I felt this kind of whoosh come on me. And the Holy Spirit said, oh, my grace was with you the whole time. This is what you would have felt like without it. Now, as my subjective experience, I believe it was God. I believe he was showing me grace as a commodity that I had very little understanding of. I believe that's the kind of grace God gives to us right in the midst of when life throws its worst at us. We are giving something that we can stand in and on. It becomes, for lack of a better term, a commodity, a power. It is the constant of God. God is grace. When you can't make it any other way, when all your thoughts and feelings are muddled and jumbled, we are given this great grace from God. A power that's able to help you to stand when life tries to buckle you. It's not... It's not always fun either. I lo- this is what John Lynch wrote about it. I love quoting John Lynch. He talked about grace in times of trials and, and tribulation. He said, uh, grace, it's unclean. It's disruptive. It's antiseptic splashed in an open wound that kills bacteria that can kill the wounded person. It is God's love poured out to us in our worst place. And then it starts to take the lead. It stings, just like antiseptic, and then it starts to do something. When you recognize your standing, it leads you to something else. It leads you to hope. It leads you to that place that's interesting that we sang and talked about this morning. Grace, this kind of grace in the midst of tribulation will bring you right back into who He is. And he doesn't try and get you to hope in the circumstances changing. He leads you right back into this. I think Brenda even spoke about this last week. But this great hope that is in God, in Christ Jesus. He is our hope. He is this one that we can lean into and say, this sure doesn't look good, God, but I'm going to put my hope and my trust in you. And it starts to do another thing when it leads us there. The minute we recognize I can still have hope in God, it starts to sustain us, doesn't it? 
For those of you that have tasted it, it begins a, it's almost like getting an IV. It starts to drip into you. Drop by drop by drop by drop. Hoping. Hope in the midst of a trial. Now it does another really strange thing. Because hope always leads us to a place of vulnerability. You see, when the turmoils, when tribulation comes, fear comes in and we want to free, we don't, we don't want to get vulnerable. <laughs> I don't want to, and I don't know where you've been in your prayer life. Sometimes I want to say, I don't, I don't know if I want to hope. Hope stings. I don't know if I really want, I don't know if I can even go there one more time. But it comes back to this. Where can I go? The psalmist said, Who am I in he- whom have I in heaven but you, O God? Where would we run? It's what the disciples felt when people started to scatter when Jesus did tough, tough teachings. And they all started to leave. And he looked at those 12 that stuck around and he said, are you going to go too? Where do we go, Lord? You have the words of life. You have life in you. There is no place else to go. It's a place of vulnerability. And this is why I think that happens. Vulnerability opens us up to something. The love of God. Vulnerability says for the strongest stalwart man and to the raging woman, Xena princess warrior. It says this. I'm with you. I love you. I'm going to pour my love into your heart. You see, it's really strange, but it's in the deepest tribulation trial where God pours out his love. It's promised here right in this scripture. He gets us, it's funny, grace to stand in, hope to trust in. And then when you go, but I don't think I can do it. He goes, oh, now. I'm going to pour my love into you like you've never known. And even when you can't even receive it, he just keeps coming on. He just keeps pouring out his love. Why? To get rid of the fear and the anxiety. Perfect love does what? Cast out fear. Trials and tribulations produce fear in our hearts. Can you see the logic of what God has here? This is where he says, anxiety, I'm going to pour my love on you. That's why sometimes it doesn't make sense. You can be going through your worst day and go, and then the simplest of songs changes everything about you and what you're going through. I always go back to the simple, Jesus loves me, this I know. 
the most childlike song. And I, and I sense God's love at the worst time. And sometimes, even this old gray-bearded warrior needs to be treated like little Lloyd. Pulled up on Dad's lap. Is hugged on. Speaks into our hearts. It's going to be okay, kid. Come on and think through it. Have I ever abandoned you? Have I ever left you alone, Lloyd? Have you ever forsaken you? Have you ever begged bread? Have you really ever gone without? And he goes, no, I would never allow that. He pours out his love over and over and over to each one of us. We sang the song because that's who he is. That's who he is. Right in the midst of our worst Heartache. So God doesn't alleviate the heartaches. He does something else. He pours himself into our beings. Right in the middle of our heartache. Right in the middle of our worst anguish. Right in the middle where the scream becomes silent. And you don't have another word to say. God's response is, oh, I love you, little guy. I love you. 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 Because it drives that fear away. I'm telling you, it's the only thing that works. So when you're in your worst time, I will tell you this. No, you can't make it on your own. You can't sing Frank Sinatra songs, I did it my way. You can't sing old rock and roll, I'm a rock. I am an island. No, you're not. You better sing, I'm a poor, wayfaring child that needs someone to guide me. And he says, I will. I will, child. I'm there for you. This is grace in practice. This is how we live in the midst of a broken world. This is how we live in the midst of our own broken heart. This is how we live in the midst of loss. This is how we live. In him, we live and move and have our being. And his love I make this commitment a bold one. His love can drive out fear and anxiety and pain. May not be instantaneous, but when you get up and you've said an honest prayer and your legs are wobbly and you feel like your stomach's turning inside out, And that grace settles back down on us. He says, I'm with you. Yes? 